Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we enter into the beginning of the Passion Week for Jesus' mission on the cross. And as he prepares his disciples, Jesus leaves them with one last transcendent message on the subject of greatness and the necessity of humility as the central characteristic for the Christian. Thanks for joining us today as we study the Last Supper and how Jesus' message impacts our culture of self-love. I'm going to start out a little bit different this morning, a little blast from the past back to the 1990s. Here we go. Some of you wishing that went on longer. Enjoying watching basketball here in church this morning. Um, Be like Mike. You remember this? Anyone remember that commercial from 1990s, right? Uh, that was a big deal for Gatorade, right? Uh, good, good sales pitch here. Why, why do people want to be like Mike? What's so great about Mike? You know nobody is singing songs they want to be like Tom? Did you know that? <laughs> Nobody's singing songs they want to be like Ryan. No, but they want to be like Mike. And... There is a a subtle and sneaky reason why. And it's because in our culture today, the way in which we evaluate one another is horizontally. The way we evaluate ourselves, the way we see who we are, is by looking at those across from us. Now, how can you get better than Michael Jordan, right? How how do you get higher than that within the NBA? He's the pinnacle of his game, right? Gatorade capitalized on this. As well as this component of human nature that recognizes we evaluate ourselves compared to one another. We evaluate ourselves horizontally. Uh, This is a component of uh, our sin nature, really. We, We fail to recognize what we look like in the eyes of God. And we really live our lives looking at our own a scale of righteousness, the way in which we are either good or bad. Are you a good person or are you a bad person? Well, I'll tell you I'm better than that guy, right? At least I'm not as bad as this one over here. But we have failed to look at ourselves through the lens of the holiness of God. We're also concerned with uh, being number one, watching out for ourselves. The culture that you and I live in is a culture of greed, It's a culture of control, of of power dynamics, of one-upsmanship. Even uh, this past week, my my daughter Sadie, she's three years old, and she goes to the after-school child care and and spends time with her friends. Well, the newest thing that's cool within three-year-olds is saying, um, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you. And everywhere I go in the house, she's constantly telling me, I'm going to beat you, Dad. 
Why? Because she wants to be number one. Three years old. That's already being just ingrained into her psyche for who she is. I got to watch out for me, myself, and I. It's all about me. Now, look, folks, you know this is true, right? You know this is true. I have another little clip here that I'll play, and this is from a, a shopping uh, endeavor on Black Friday, so you can imagine what this is going to look like. Uh, while you just watch what it looks like to set a herd of human beings, sinful in their nature, loose to see who can get the best deal for themselves, um, I'll tell you a story of this past week. I took my kids bowling. And as we uh, went to the bowling alley, uh, you have to sign up as to who goes first. And uh, I asked my kids, which of you wants to go first? And what do you think they said? Yeah, both of them did. (laughs) Both of them want to go first. Well, you can't both go first, all right? And then if you've ever been bowling with kids, uh, they uh, think that the other person's ball is somehow better than their ball, right? <laughs> and so Sadie wants to use Micah's, and then Micah doesn't want to share. No, that's mine. And I mean, are you seeing it, folks? Are you seeing that from childhood, from the very way that we're woven into society, you and I are, by our nature, concerned with ourselves. We want what's best for ourselves. This clip goes on for like another two minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that short. I'm sure you get the point. Uh, I'm titling this sermon this morning, Greatness. What is greatness? How are you and I truly viewed as being great? And I don't mean in your own eyes. I don't mean in the eyes of those either who, who look at you and evaluate you. I mean greatness in the eyes of your Savior. Greatness before God. What does that look like? As we have been walking through Luke's gospel over the past few months, we are now reaching towards the end, and we're going to move into chapter 22. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to ask if you will uh, take them out and turn there with me. We're going to see how Jesus meets here, beginning his final week with his disciples as he enters into the Passover meal with them. There's a term for this, and maybe you've heard it referred to, even titled within your Bible as the Last Supper. The Last Supper. And it is that meal which we commemorate here at our church once a month, starting on the first Sunday of each month. We celebrate communion. And as we read through Luke chapter 22 today, uh, a few passages, I want you to even ask God to prepare your heart that you would see what has been offered before us today in this meal, in this remembrance service of celebration that God has given His one and only Son That his body was broken on your behalf. His blood was poured out for you and I. I want you to ask God to show you this in a new light. Because this needs to be something that's meaningful. Uh, The the, the problem is though, and you've got to hear me now. I'm going to be real upfront with this. If you and I don't give intentionality to how we come to this table, you and I are going to end up in the same way the disciples of the first century were not paying attention to when Jesus was doing this. They, They themselves were caught up with who's the greatest and I'm watching out for me and my way. That's what they were concerned with. And without you and I giving intentional, observational, self-examination to what's going on in this meal, we're going to end up the same way they are. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. We're going to read through the text. Uh, I want us to pay attention to some context of the setting. And then we're going to make a few points of observation and conclude this morning. Luke chapter 22, uh, we'll start in verse 7. It's on page 1637 in the Pew Bibles. 
Luke records. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb to, uh, had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the, the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he, ha- that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this? Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. And Jesus asked them, when I sent you without a purse or bag or sandals, did you lack nothing or lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. 
And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. And we'll pause there for this morning's meditation. It's a, it's a somber scene. You can recognize the disjunct between what Jesus is trying to communicate and the complete absent-mindedness of the disciples. They just didn't understand. They just didn't recognize it. They were too overcome with that ingrained human nature of thinking more about what is important for them. How is it going to go with them? How do people look at me? What do they see when, when they look at me? And what are people saying about me? And me, 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 me. And they missed the point. And Jesus' words, they still ring true even into today. However, there's a context here that we're missing in Luke's gospel. It shows up in John's gospel. And I'd invite you to find some time to uh, do, some, do some homework on that. John chapter 13, if you're taking notes, is a passage that happens just before these words in the upper room. Now, you're familiar with it, and I'll just recount the story with you. That before the meal is served, and the disciples are all there gathered, and Jesus as the one who is in the seat of privilege. I mean, he, he is the master, right? He's the teacher. He recognizes that he has one final lesson to give them. One last opportunity to speak into their lives. He gets up from the table. And he takes off his outer garments and he grabs a towel. And he wraps a towel around his waist with a basin of water and he kneels down before the disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. Now, be honest here. Who has stinky feet? <laughs> Church now, you got to raise your hand. The disciples did too. In fact, this type of a job was the most menial of all jobs given to the servants of a household. If you were new on the payroll, guess what job you were going to get to do, right? Sorry, son. You get to clean... The guest's feet. And here is Jesus, the master. Here is Jesus, their Lord. Here is Jesus, their teacher. Uh, how scandalous, right? How, how undignified. In fact, as you read, if you go and read in John, uh, he gets to Peter, right? And Peter says, Lord, you can't wash my feet. I think he knew how stinky his were, right? <laughs> and uh, Jesus says, no, this, this must be done. Otherwise, you have no part with me. And Peter, wanting to be with Jesus, because you can see even Luke records that, uh, in verse 33, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. We just got to love Peter, right? Uh, just wears his heart right on his sleeve, doesn't think before he speaks. It's just honest as the day is long. Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, look, look, you, you already took a bath. You don't need to wash all of you. I need to show you something. I'm trying to model something before you, which is simply this. That Jesus, as being the greatest, is here revealing to his disciples a level of humility that the culture is clueless to. Completely unfamiliar in the way in which our world does things. But Jesus says, look what I'm doing for you. And if, if I, your master, have done this for you, this is how you ought to serve one another. And there are some churches that actually have services where they wash feet. The problem is, you and I, we have boots and socks, and, and we don't have the dust on our feet as they did in the first century, so the meaning of it is kind of lost. In fact, what they were doing in the first century was really serving those, and serving them in such a way 
That is the lowest of the low. It's the most menial of tasks. When I first served as a missionary, we, we moved into our house uh, when we moved over to the Caribbean, and um, there, were, there were some guests that stayed there before we moved in who had really long, curly hair. And so the shower drain, some of you know where I'm going with this, right? So the shower drain did not do its function. Shower drain's supposed to drain, right? This, this was not working. And I didn't, for whatever clueless reason, I didn't think to get in there and fish something out. I thought something might have been uh, incorrect with the plumbing. I didn't know what to do. And so I called a really good Bahamian friend of mine. Um, he was a, uh, he's a construction worker. Uh, but doesn't have much in his life, uh, lives really um, hand-to-mouth, right? Uh, but he came over, and here I am, the missionary. Here I am, come to serve them. And this friend of mine is there on his hands and knees in the tub, pulling out what feels like a rope load of... You know what, it, you know what this is like, right? <laughs> Do I need to talk about the smell, or are we good this morning, right? And, and he's doing this, and I'm standing there like this, just kind of just watching this happen but he is illustrating for me a principle by which I needed to see as a missionary and it's the same thing you need to know as a Christian today that in your life God has called us because of what he has done for us let's say that together ready because of what he has done for us that we are to serve one another in this same fashion to give of ourselves and not to do what's so easy to do, which is to take the place at the table of prominence. No, let me sit right next to the master. Let, let me come and sit at the head table. Let me get, hey, we got to get there early, hon, because all the good seats are going to get taken. You know, we got to get up front. We got to get there right away. Rather than thinking about how we can surrender our desires and our wants. Our culture today has fooled us, church. It's fooled us into thinking that it is right to chase after our own desires. I want you to see, again, the context. Before Jesus talks about greatness, look with me in uh, your scripture at verse 20, uh, 20, I guess. He says in the same way, uh, Luke says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Who is it? Who, gee, who's it going to be? Imagine you were there. Jesus says this, right? Someone of you here is going to betray me. And your hand is with me on the table. Look what they start to do in verse 23. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be. Well, it's got to be, got to be Judas, right? No, it's going to be Matthew. No, it's going to be Simon. Ain't gonna be me. I heard you say that's not gonna be. You can imagine, right? This little argument starts to starts to pour out amongst them, and then look what it turns into. I want you to see how this discussion among themselves as to ain't gonna be you, is it? No, ain't gonna be me. Look what it turns into in verse twenty-four. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Can you see the one-to-one correspondence as to how this is happening? Here they are trying to peg it on each other as to which of them is going to be the betrayer, which suddenly turns into, well, it ain't going to be me because I'm the bee's knees. It ain't going to be me because I'm the cat's meow. i got to get some better euphemisms, right? <laughs> you, you get the point, though? They start talking about how great they are in defense as to how they won't 
betray Jesus. Their, their sins won't find them out because I am, I am so great. I'm greater than you. Well, I'm greater than you. And look what they're doing. They are evaluating their worth horizontally. They're looking at the guy next to them on each side. And they're saying, better than this one. And they completely miss the point. They miss the point as to what Jesus is showing them in this last meal, in this last lesson. And Peter, (laughs) Peter gets singled out. Look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, which is Peter's uh, surname. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. What what we're going to do this morning as we look to some observations in this text is we're going to go to 1 Peter because Peter betrayed Jesus. But then Peter turned back and he spent the entirety of the rest of his life helping the church. And I think Peter's perspective is going to be one that's going to be helpful to us this morning. So here are some observations. Number one is this. Greatness in the kingdom of God is evidenced by humility on earth. Greatness in the kingdom of God is evidenced by humility on earth. Your habits of putting others first is evidence of your maturity in Christ. The measure of grace that you extend to one another, it reveals your own recognition of your own need for grace. Putting the needs of those around you ahead of yourself is how you follow in Christ-likeness. It's humility on earth. That shows your status in the kingdom of God. Folks, we struggle with this. We struggle with putting others ahead of ourselves. Not, not when it's easy, by the way. You know, it, it's, it's super easy to stand in the fellowship line and say, Oh, no, you, you go ahead. Go after, after you. Right? That's easy to do. Right? You know what's hard to do? Is when somebody offends you and you want to get your way for you to submit yourself. And humble yourself in that moment. We're bad at that. We're really good at all oh, these little niceties of letting other people first. But in the real root of our heart for the day in and day out of how we live our lives, we struggle with this. Because we want our way. And I'm, I'm right. I'm right. Right? And we defend ourselves. And then if we don't get our way, we go and we talk to somebody who agrees with us. Did you hear what such and such person said about such and such? And, Guys, this is no place for this in the kingdom of God. Your, your value and your worth of greatness, it's evidenced by how you humble yourself here on earth. Which is the opposite of how our world thinks. And Jesus knows this. He says in verse 25 uh, that the kings of the Gentiles lord it over people. So the world believes that greatness is found in your profession or in your authority. Right? Because I'm the boss. That makes me have greatness because I'm in charge. That's not, tr- that's not it. That's not true. Uh, when, when I served overseas, I, I worked at a school, and uh, it, was a, it was a boarding school. And the kids would step on a line, and so you know what I would do? I'd exercise my authority. That's what I would do. <laughs> and I remember one moment where the, the president of the school instructed me to, to uh, give him a good tongue lashing, he said. Right? Really... Uh, let them have it. And I, I bellowed at these kids 
as loud as I could. And do you know what they said? They said, Mr. Flunker, you're great. <laughs> no, they did not say that. Uh, they, they, it, my, my level of lording authority over them did not change their behavior. It didn't change their outlook. It didn't work. It didn't work. I thought it would. It didn't work. Uh, does yelling work for you? Does that work? No. You know what it does? It, pu- it pushes people further away is what it does. Think about maybe even how you've grown up. And this is not part of my sermon. I'm off the rails a little bit here. But let me just talk for a moment about the concept of generational sin. Think of the way in which maybe your father, your grandfather, the people who raised you uh, were harsh in their discipline. And love was not something that was seen. Is it not the pattern by which you now think parenting looks? And what happens is one generation is abusive to the next and the next is abusive to the next. Because we think that we get greatness according to our authority and I'm in charge. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's a great quote by, uh, by Andy Griffith. Uh, he, he's asked why he doesn't carry a gun. I don't know if you, you've heard this before, but go ahead and, go ahead and watch these. Uh, Sheriff Taylor rarely ever carried a weapon. And when he was asked, these is, this was his reply. When a man carries a gun all the time, the respect he thinks he's getting might really be fear. So I don't carry a gun because I don't want the people of Mayberry to fear a gun I'd rather they would respect me. It's kind of cool. He recognizes that his, his position of authority doesn't need to be one where he's lording it over them, where he's exercising authority over them. He can do so with a calm, loving spirit of love. Jesus models that for us better than anyone. Uh, some people think it's title. In fact, that's what Jesus says here at the end of verse 25. He says they exercise authority over them. They call themselves benefactors. So this is kind of an insult because these were people of really harsh treatment. But the word here for benefactor is kind of like a savior. Like, I'm the one that bails you out. I'm your benefactor, implying you owe me for how great I am. I'm your benefactor. It's self-honor is what it is. Notice, that's what he, do you see that's what Jesus says? They call themselves. Does your, your Bible say themselves? Yeah, because that's the title they're garnering for themselves. It's not entirely a problem in our culture today, but look, just because you have a title in front of your name doesn't make you great. Just because you earned a degree in such and such and minor and that's and that, that doesn't make you worthy of greatness. As much as our world, even our educational system, thinks that's the avenue to greatness, it isn't. It's not what you call yourself. It's frankly not what other people call you. It's what God calls you. And lastly, position. So Jesus in verse 27, he says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Well, who is it? If I'm sitting at the table, clearly I'm the one who's greater, right? Because the servants are bringing me the pork chop and the T-bone and the mashed potatoes, right? I'd rather sit at the table that proves that I'm the one greater. Well, in that setting, who is the greatest among the disciples? Who is it? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the greatest one there, but look what he says. He says at the end of verse 27, is it not the one who sits at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. 
Your position doesn't make you great. Service will. And so Jesus redefines for us what greatness looks like. I want to share with you four things. Number one is this, submission. Greatness is found in submission. That is not a popular word today. To submit means that you allow the authorities over you to maintain their control. Submission in the Christian life goes even to the extent of for those that would mistreat us. We do not revile against them. We allow ourselves to submit under authorities that would even mistreat us. This is hard to hear. As Americans, this is hard to hear. But do you know what you are before you're an American? This is not a trick question. What are you? Oh, I hope, say it loud. What are you? You are a Christian. You are a Christian before you're an American. First Peter 2, listen to what Peter says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Now, there is a submission that happens above this. For if the government tells you to worship Zeus, what should you do? Yeah, you should say, no, I have a higher authority, that God's authority sits above man's authority. But if it's simply a matter of your preference, what does Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what to Caesar's. And give to God what belongs to God. Peter says, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. So submission is the first place where greatness is seen. Secondly is care. That you and I would learn to... Help those to give to those who are in need. Jesus' example says that there are kings of the Gentiles who are lording it over them. That's not care. That's not what love looks like. You want to find greatness? Then you learn to be a person that recognizes the need in others and reaches out to help fulfill it. First Peter 5, 2, and 3 say this. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter's writing here to church leadership. We all would see what it looks like. And as an example, it's made to follow in the footsteps of those who have modeled it for you. Submission and care and humility. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, he writes these words. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Again, is not a very popular message in our world today. Humility, however, is where greatness is found. And for you and I to humble ourselves means to put others ahead of ourselves. We heard it already read this morning in Philippians, right? If there be any like-mindedness among you speaking to the church, then you need to care not just about your own interests, but you need to care about the interests of those around you. And I'll add this in there. Even if that bothers you, 
It's not saying care about the interests of those around you if they're your pal, if you like them, if they get along with you. Put others ahead of yourself, even in those instances where it's hard, even in those instances where it's difficult for you. And greatness will be yours. If you want to be great, here's, here's the recipe for it. And lastly and finally is this, service. In 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10, Peter writes these words, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What do you think about Peter? Remember Peter in the story? Remember, he was the one there who's like, can't wash my feet, and I'll go with you even to the cross, right? I'm with you. That was Peter. And Peter was the guy who failed, but Jesus prayed for him that he would return. This is the wisdom of that man. He's offering it to you today. Greatness is not found determined by the equation or the formula of our world. Greatness has been modeled by Jesus Christ. So what do we do with that? I have a couple applications. Number one is this. The source of our failure is horizontal comparison. That's why we fail. The reason why we lack greatness in the eyes of our God is because we have bought into comparing ourselves with one another. So what's the solution? Stop doing that. (laughs) Right? That's it. Stop doing that. Stop comparing yourself with your neighbor. Stop looking across the road and thinking, well, I'm decent, I'm a good person because of them. Don't compare yourself on the horizontal. That was the context of this whole mess that they get into, why Jesus has to give them this message. They start disputing who's greatest among you. Look, guys, don't worry about that. Focus on how you can serve one another because greatness is not determined here on earth. Greatness is found in heaven, evidenced by humility on earth. So that's the first part. Second is this. Actually printed off the lyrics. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, like Mike. Oh, if I could be like Mike, like Mike, be like Mike. Don't be like Mike. Instead, be like Jesus. Set Jesus as your example. Set Jesus as the one to whom you aspire to live like. How how does Jesus react in this situation? What would Jesus say in this moment? A couple decades ago, they made the bracelets. Remember those? What did they say? W? Yeah, what would Jesus do? I I wish I had something more exciting to tell you this morning, church. But (laughs) that's it. It's as simple as that. What would Jesus do? How would he act and live in these circumstances? Be like him. Let him become the model that you would desire to live by and look like. Lastly is this question I want to leave you with. What can you do for others because of what Jesus has done for you? What can you do for others because of what Jesus has done for you? I've told you the story, I think, before of when I uh, went with my mom as she was playing in the bell choir. And uh, I didn't have dinner, so she left me at big boy. (laughs) We can find out the details about that if my memory is fuzzy. But I remember being at Big Boy, and um, I had just enough money to buy what I needed. But the server came to me. He saw that I was eating alone by myself. And as the meal finished, he brought me the check, except there was no check. There was simply a napkin. And on it were these words, Ryan, 
God has given me much more than I deserve. Therefore, in Jesus' name, this is for you. And he bought me a cheeseburger. That, that, that small act, that little moment from when I was very young, imprinted in my mind and in my heart to something that I carry with me today of how a Christian should live. What has he done for you, church? What has he done for you? And in light of what God has done for you, what can you do for others? Let's pray this morning.